Hello, this is episode 336 of Crash, the UK Geek podcast. I am recording at 2351.21 on Wednesday the 7th of October. And yeah, here I am again. I apologise profusely for the delays. If you listened to the last pod, which seems like a century ago, you'll know I'm going through a few things. Not just podcast things, but life things. And those things have not improved. In fact, there are even more things, and they have become more thingy, to the extent that I don't really know what I'm going to do. Except for the sake of this podcast, sweep it back under the carpet yet again. So, this episode should be thing-free. But on the subject of things, there are other things that can make those things seem less thingy, like booze. And I did want to do the show tipsy, but since the alcohol the phosphoric acid, and the citric acid that make up a Cuba Libra, a delightful drink, would all make me sick. I can't. And so, onto the show, frighteningly sober, finally. Although I do have a caffeinated drink. The brand will not, however, be named. Unless they pay me for advertising. And also some fantastically unhealthy orange cream chocolate bars. Again, the brand of which I'm not going to mention. I shall nibble on these throughout the show. But thanks to the art of podcast editing, you shouldn't hear too many crunches and slurps. Unless I deliberately do that. This episode, by the way, is one of my retro revisits in which I talk about old things, in this case, vintage Doctor Who. And tonight we are tackling Terror of the Zygons. Let's first start off with some cast and production notes. And then I'll play you a clip, and then I'll tell you what happens, and then I'll tell you what I thought, and end with some trivia. In this story, we are still with the third Doctor, Tom Baker. His companions, Sarah Jane Smith, played by Elizabeth Slarden, and Harry Sullivan, played by Ian Marta. The director was Douglas Camfield, who, and I put this in brackets next to his name, because I rarely talk about... The people who make the show, I concentrate mainly on the story and what I thought. But in this case, let's do that. In the case of Douglas Canfield, he went to art school. He joined the army. After the army, he became a Doctor Who production assistant and later a director. Although I don't think that was a completely linear path, because it would be amazing if you went straight from art school to the army to Doctor Who production assistant. Maybe you did a few other things along the way, but I can't be bothered to research what those were, sorry. On to the writer, Robert Banks Stewart. This chap was an ex-journalist. 
He was a story editor, and his credits include The Avengers and, of course, Doctor Who. The producer was Philip Hinchcliffe, and Terror of the Zygons is the first story of season 13, following on from Revenge of the Cybermen, that we covered in episode 333. Yeah, it's that long since we've done a vintage revisit. Terror of the Zygons consisted of four 25-minute episodes and was first broadcast from the 30th of August to the 20th of September 1975. Ah, yes, I forgot this bit. I am again doing, as usual, my On This Day in the UK to give you a little flavour of what the 30th of August 1975 was like. And yet again, my extensive research has revealed absolutely bugger all happened in Blighty on that day that I could find or remember. So we are going to fall back on our standby and just talk about music. And number one in the UK was Can't Give You Anything But My Love by The Stylistics, which I cannot remember at all. Although I am very grateful that the song knocked Rod Stewart sailing from the number one spot. It does seem to me like that song and the Bass City Rollers Bye Bye Baby covered in pod 332 were the type of songs parents would sing to their kids. I should have some fleeting memory of Rod Stewart sailing, but... I can't really be sure. All I know is that I would become really irritated by Rod Stewart in later years. Sorry, Rod. And not only because of his penchant for tight trousers, but also because of his songs, which were uh, a bit controversial. I just don't like Rod Stewart's songs. It is odd, though, that bands like ABBA and Boney M which also fall into the category of overplayed songs from my youth, I'm okay with and quite like. Though as far as quality goes, they're probably on about the same level. Okay then, let's just play a small clip, and then I'll tell you in my own words what happens. Stand by for the clip then. Three, two, one... I thought the plan was to conquer the world. The plan has not changed. But you can't rule the world in hiding. You've got to come out onto the balcony sometimes and wave a tentacle. You'll pardon the expression. In a few hours, there will be no further need of secrecy. Have no doubt, Doctor. Yes, that's the TARDIS. And I'm going to pilot it all the way to London. I can be there five minutes ago. Just a minute, Doctor. I thought you couldn't do that. Of course I can. Coming. And we are back. Hope you enjoyed that. And now let me tell you what happens. 
The Doctor and his companion Sara and Ian help units investigate attacks on oil rigs. The attacks are being carried out by the Zygons, whose spaceship is at the bottom of Loch Ness. The Zygons are controlling the Loch Ness monster and using it as a weapon. They are also kidnapping and duplicating the local humans, which accounts for their hostility towards the oil men. The reasons the Zygons are up to their dastardly plans is the Zygons are bent on taking the Earth for their own and terraforming it to their own environmental requirements, following the destruction of their own homeworld. Eventually, of course, tangling with the Doctor is never a good idea. The Doctor is captured by the Zygons and on the Zygon spaceship manages to escape and releases the prisoners, as well as destroying the Zygon spaceship by activating its self-destruction system. And regarding that system, more on that later. However, before the spaceship is destroyed, the Zygon leader, Broton, has left in the guise of the Duke of Forgill. He plans to use the Duke's credentials to infiltrate the World Energy Conference and destroy the event by using the monster. He is foiled by Unit, and the Doctor throws the device that is used to attract the monster into the monster's own mouth, whereupon the monster munches happily on it, and when it ceases to function, the monster loses interest and heads home to Loch Ness. The story ends with the Doctor and Sara taking the TARDIS back to London and on to what I thought. Lots of things happen in this story. I have just given you a brief overview of the bones of the story, but I didn't mention that Harry does get shot. And poor old Harry, if he isn't clumsily causing some calamity or losing his shoes, then he's getting himself shot in the head and possessed by Zygons. Really, Harry Sullivan is a liability. Next, a new Doctor Who story and new iconic-ish aliens. I say ish because... The Zygons aren't the Daleks or the Cybermen, but it is nice to have a change. Here we have our first encounter with the Zygons, the aliens who feature heavily in New Who with their squidgy organic tech, which I always find really fascinating and interesting, and surely that is the future of our own technology. You won't be fiddling with a joystick, you'll be manipulating a tentacle. At some point in the future. Oh yes, I made a note of a funny scene involving the Doctor and the Brigadier. The Doctor comes across a Brigadier who has been rendered unconscious, and when the Brigadier awakes, he is told by the Doctor, You've been asleep, Brigadier. The Brigadier responds, Asleep? Impossible. I was on duty. 
There are times, Doctor, when you do talk nonsense. Excuse me. <laughs> I quite like that bit. And it's a nice touch because, as we'll find out a bit later, this will be the Brigadier's last appearance for quite some time. There's also another scene in which the Brigadier addresses the off-screen female Prime Minister on the phone. This is four years before Margaret Thatcher, though at the time she was head of the Tory party and Labour, though they had formed a government, was not doing well, so I suppose it was a fairly obvious prediction that that might happen in the future. One of the characters who I didn't mention in my brief summary is a really annoying landlord of a local pub, and I must admit, I sighed with relief when the pompous bagpiper psychic, well, self-proclaimed psychic, snobby publican of the Tulloch, Angus, finally croaks in the sucker-strewn hands of the murderous Zygon disguised as a nurse. That scene particularly struck a nerve, given that, as we speak, Ratchet, the TV show about the evil nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, is making the rounds. The chilling spectre of Angel of Death nurses really are at the forefront of my mind at the moment, and the actress Lilias Walker does a good job as Sister Lamont. The writer, Robert Banks Stewart, was Scottish, and this is reflected in the story and the Loch Ness Monster. However, it did surprise me how hard he leans into what was thought to be humorous Scottish stereotypes at the time. While there are pieces of my own Indian, British, Asian and African culture I poke fun at in my own writing, I assiduously avoid racist cliches. On the other hand, he was Scottish, so if anyone has the right to mock their own roots, it is someone from that same culture. And frankly, Angus playing the bagpipes deserved being mocked. I also wonder, while we're on the subject of Robert Banks Stewart, what the writer thought of sharing the same clan with a fictional character. And I'm, of course, talking about Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. Robert Banks Stewart certainly does comedically scottify the Brigadier in this story, giving him a kilt and a sporran. Playing with the Loch Ness Monster myth by revealing it to be, in actuality, an alien Zygon weapon called the Scarasen was a nice touch, I thought. I liked the Zygon spaceship, though it was squat and fortress-like. I did like that it had the three-pronged tripod configuration because it reminds me of Blake Seven's The Liberator, and also the three-pronged fins of one of those 50s sci-fi spaceships based on the V2. And I think the rocket in that Tintin story also has three legs. Well, anyway, I like The Liberator. That's the main reason. 
Anyway, back to the Zion ship. It looks so great, but the ship is a bit of a joke, as it only takes the Doctor sticking both hands into the squidgy console for barely a second, and that's all it takes to initiate the self-destruct sequence. I thought that was a bit pathetic. The Zygon's body-snatching duplication is, of course, reminiscent of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and my supposition was later confirmed by referring to the BBC webpage for this story, in which it says that Invasion of the Body Snatchers was one of the roots of this story. I also read that Terror of the Zygons would be Nicholas Courtney's last regular appearance on the show until Mordrin Undead, which was eight years later. Although I did read that on Wikipedia, so I'm not quite sure if that's completely accurate. But if it is, until we meet again, we will miss you, Brigadier. The screams of panic and sounds of destruction as the monster wreaks havoc in London are... Unintentionally, or intentionally, I'm not quite sure, funny? One of my own characters mentions a similar comedic scenario involving the destruction of London in my novel The Horus Box. And that is it for my brief overview and thoughts of Terror of the Zygons. Before we go, I've got a couple more things. Got a little trivia about this story. The exteriors were filmed mainly on the south coast of England at various locations in West Sussex. The Forgill Castle exterior seems to have been stock footage of Dunvegan Castle on the Isle of Skye. Okay, we're in the after-show section, and what you haven't heard is a lot of me getting irritated by the amount of interruptions, and getting so annoyed that I needed a swig of my non-named caffeinated drink and the chalky treat to stop me completely blowing a gasket, because I have more to tape. Yes, hold on to your... Doctor Who Fedoras, because I am taping the weekly geekly episode right after this one. I'm telling you this now to show you that despite the horrid stresses of life, I'm making an effort. I actually shook my fist as I did that. Okay, enough waffle. I've got some more caffeinated drink to imbibe and some more chalky treat to munch. The show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend. You can also support me by going onto the website and clicking on support where you'll find a coffee page where you can tip me a few galactic credits, if you wish. If you don't wish to do that, that's also okay. Just drop me a line, tell me what you think of the show, the usual stuff. 
Perhaps a nice review, that would be good too. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd and creative wizard. This was episode 336, recorded on Wednesday the 7th of October 2020 and ending on Thursday the 8th of October 2020 at 002523. Thanks for listening and bye bye for now. Bye.